words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be acceptable to you through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Your sermon text is on the back of the bulletin. And we begin with verse 13 of Luke chapter 12. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher or rabbi, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, apparently, a father had died without a will. And it was the custom in those days that the inheritance would not be divided until the older brother, the oldest brother, or son, decided that it should be divided. So it's waiting on him. And apparently he's dragging his feet and dividing the inheritance. It was the job of a rabbi, among other things, to render decisions like this. Judgments. Jesus was no different. He was a rabbi. By the way, there was another rabbi. He was a contemporary of Jesus, lived in the first century, even lived in Galilee where Jesus lived. His name was Yohanan ben Zakkai. And Yohanan ben Zakkai, who lived in Galilee along with Jesus, decided to move to Jerusalem because he wasn't getting enough business in Galilee. There weren't enough people coming to him asking for decisions, you see. So he went to where the people were in Jerusalem. And I'm sure that uh, Yohanan ben Zakkai would have loved to have had this case. But Jesus refuses to render a decision here. Notice verse 14. But he said to him, man, oh, that's not good, okay. When, when someone refers to as man, there's a distance there. Who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? You see, Jesus came for a different purpose than this. He's not your regular rabbi. And he said to them, Take care. Now, he, now he's talking to his disciples. Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. You see, Jesus refuses to render a decision here because there's something more important in play than simply an inheritance. This man may have a valid complaint. He may have a legitimate case against his brother. He may be a true victim of injustice. But Jesus is the great physician. And when he looks at this man, he sees much more than a man with a valid complaint. He sees a man with a deadly illness. Roman numeral number one in your outline. The Greek word here for covetousness uh, pleonexia. Pleonexia equals covetousness or greed or insatiableness. You can't get enough. That's the disease. And point A, it is universal. It goes beyond culture, beyond time, ethnicity. It embraces us all. We all fall victim to this illness. Letter B and this is a quote from Plutarch, uh, the Roman uh, writer. 
Pleonexia never rests from acquiring pleon or more. Even pagans consider this a vice, you see. Now, you've heard of bronchitis, right? Or tonsillitis or encephalitis. Well, this, uh, pleonexia, is moritis, right? It's a disease of the mind. It's, it's, a, it's an insatiable desire that cannot be satisfied. Now imagine, imagine for a moment, if all the food you ate failed to fill you up. Imagine if all the food you ate left you as hungry after you ate as you were before you ate. What would life be like if that were true? wouldn't be very pleasant. But that's the way it is with possession, according to God's word. No matter how much you acquire, our hunger for more remains. We're never satisfied. And what does that tell you about possessions? They cannot make you secure. If more possessions could guarantee your security, then you would not feel the need for more and more. Letter C. Pleonexia is idolatry. It is idolatry. That's our second reading for today. Greed or covetousness is idolatry, according to St. Paul. It's idol worship. Now, an, an idol is anything that you feel that you cannot live without. Anything or anyone that you feel you just can't live without. I want you to think about that for a moment, about your life. What is it that you feel you can't live without? What is it? If it's anything other than Christ, it's an idol. It's an idol. Letter D. Americans, Americans are especially symptomatic of this disease. We manifest the symptoms big time. Big time. And, and I would cite here, and, and you might, if you're taking notes, you might write this down. There's an interesting video. It's only six minutes, okay? But it's based on uh, an ethno-archaeological study, okay? It's called Life at Home in the 21st Century. You key that in. Life at Home in the 21st Century. Key that into a search engine, and then just, just type after that, like, video. Because there's a whole report on this as well. But just, just watch the video for six minutes. It'll blow your mind. It, it's an ethno-archaeological study of 32 American homes. Now, these are not homes of what we would call hoarders. Now, people in other cultures would say that we're all hoarders in America. Okay? But according to our standard, this is not hoarding. It's normal. Okay? Now, these ethno-archaeologists counted every single item in 32 middle-class American homes. And they noted not only were the closets in these homes filled with stuff, not only were desks and tables covered with stuff, corners of rooms were piled with stuff, even shower stalls were being used for storage, and into every nook and cranny of the home more and more things were being jammed. And this is what they conclude. Americans have more possessions per household than any other society in the history of humankind. 
doesn't surprise me. doesn't surprise me at all. And they found that with regard to children's toys, it was over the top. If, if the household had children, toys were routinely scattered over virtually every floor of the home. I think in the UK, and this was the UK, this isn't even America. Uh, in the UK, they, they did a study of 10-year-olds. 10-year-olds had an average of 248 toys, and they used about nine of them. These ethno-archaeologists found that hyper-consumerism was evident in every room of the home. And we haven't even talked about the garage yet, and, and we're not, okay? And, and the amount of clutter in these homes, these are normal homes, affected the women of the house more than the men, okay? Mothers would look around the home, and they saw the clutter. Now, they're having to move around it. They're having to move it here and there. They see it as a burden that they really just couldn't get a handle on. They can't manage it. You see, there's simply too many things to deal with. And so they, they measured the cortisol levels of these women, and they were elevated just due to stress of trying to manage all the stuff and work around all the stuff. And this is because we live in a consumer-driven economy, and we have many mechanisms for accumulating things, but we don't have any mechanisms for getting rid of things. They just build up and build up. So Roman numeral two, God is so generous that he gives far more than we need. And this is true throughout scripture. He gives far more than we need. He gives super abundantly. Now, to me, that sounds like giving a drunk a drink, especially here in America. Why would God give surpluses to people in America and deny that to people elsewhere around the globe? Why would he do that? We'll answer that in a moment, okay? But first, what should be, or actually what is, our response to the surplus that God gives? What's our response? Letter A, hoarding. Point number one, possessions are not intrinsically evil, but they are intrinsically dangerous. They are intrinsically dangerous. Number two, the more you have, and this is true when you stop and think about it, the more you have, the more distance you put between yourself and other people. The more distance you put between yourself and others. For example, the more money you have, the bigger house you can afford, and the, the larger estate you can own, and you can have fewer people to bother with. To, to bother with. You don't have to deal with neighbors when you're wealthy. See? why we have gated communities and that sort of thing. I, I cite Isaiah 5, verse 8, where the prophet writes, Woe to you who add house to house and join field to field till no space is left and you live alone in the land. You live alone in the land. That is a mark of spiritual poverty. God calls us to be a part of a community, the community of Christ. That involves people. Now, I know there's a lot of so-called Christians out there that feel differently. They think they can have the head of the body without the body itself. And, ooh, that's gross. You can't have the head without the body, you see. Number three, 
surpluses, the superabundance provides only the illusion of security. It's an illusion of security. For life is not a right, but a gift on loan from God. And the time will come when God will recall the loan, as he did in our lesson for today with the rich man. He recalls the loan. Your life is being required of you. That's that's the language used in recalling alone, you see. The surplus stuff, all the good things that God has given us, cannot protect us from death, nor can they protect us from the coming judgment of God, who will someday ask, in some way, shape, or form, what did you do with all the stuff that I blessed you with? And it reminds me of uh, when I lived in Texas, our, we, we had a large yard, and we, uh, I've told this before, but it bears repeating, we had 16 full-grown pecan trees on our property, and uh, we had all kinds of pecans. We had the long uh, paper shell pecans, and uh, we had the little small round ones. We had everything in between. We had five in the front yard, 11 in the backyard full-grown, bearing abundantly. I mean, the trees of Pastor Armstrong bore abundantly, you see. And the ground, the driveway, the sidewalk would be covered with pecans. And uh, one, one year, uh, a little Mexican man knocked on the door, and, and he said to me, he said, um, if I pick these up, I'll give you half, and I'll take half. And... I knew what he was going to do with his half. He was going to sell them. He could sell them for so much per pound. It wasn't a lot. But he wanted to do that. And, and I said, no, no. I will pick them up. I envisioned having all of them for myself. And I was going to give them away as gifts. I was going to shell some and give those away as gifts. I was going to leave some unshelled and give those away as gifts. And you know what happened? I never picked them up. I didn't have time to pick them up, you see. I barely had time to shell a few of them. So we were walking over pecans, crunch, 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 you know. We're driving in and out of the driveway over pecans all the time. My dog in the backyard is getting fat on, on the paper shell pecans. Um, but, but see, that's what, that's what greed does. Um, you end up losing everything, you see, because you want it all. It just doesn't look that way. Letter B. Sharing, that's the other response to the abundance that God blesses us with. Number one, Paul, and this is in 2 Corinthians uh, 8 and 9, he envisions voluntary redistribution of goods among Christians to address the imbalance between rich and poor. Voluntary redistribution. Giving is from the heart, motivated by the gospel. What God has done for us in Christ Motivates us to be a little like Christ. And I cite a couple of quotes. The first one, I don't know who said this, but I like it. To give to another's need is to lay a gift on the altar of God. And then a quote from St. Augustine. The bellies of the poor were better storerooms than the rich man's barns. Isn't that the truth? If you're thinking of storerooms, think of those storerooms. 
And number two, our abundance today will relieve the needs of others today, while their abundance tomorrow will relieve our need tomorrow. See, this is God's way of bringing people together. And, and you see this not only in terms of, of earthly wealth, but in terms of spiritual wealth. For example, uh, for hundreds of years, uh, Europe has sent missionaries, Christian missionaries, to Africa. And it did a lot of good. And, and America has too. And Christianity is exploding in Africa. But now, Africans are sending missionaries to Europe. Because Europe has become so secular. And they're even sending missionaries to America. As we become more secular. You see, their abundance is addressing our need, just as our need has addressed their abundance. This is God's way of bringing people together. He brings people together through the imbalances of life. This is no accident. This is God's intention so that we might feel the need to come together and to provide assistance where, it, where it's needed. And by the way, God designed us for that very thing. And if we're not doing it, then we're, we're malfunctioning. Number three, to be rich toward God is to view all life as gift from God. All of life is gift from God. I cite John 3.27. A man can receive nothing unless it's given to him from above. Everything we possess is gift from God. 1 Corinthians 4.7. Paul asks, what do you have that you did not first receive? And if you've received it, why do you boast as if you didn't? You see, it's all gift. Including your salvation. Including your salvation. By grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not as a result of works. That no one should boast. This is God's work on the cross for you, for me, and for all the world. And this is what transforms us into people who give. It is God's giving nature being reproduced in us through the Holy Spirit. So that, my friends, the bellies of the poor are better storehouses than the rich man's barn. But possessions are not evil, but they are intrinsically dangerous. They give the illusion of security, but they cannot deliver us either from death nor from the coming judgment of God. Only God himself can deliver us from his own judgment. And as I've said many times, and it's true, it bears repeating, if God's your problem, and we're talking judgment now, that problem, only God can be your solution. And God has provided that solution in his son, Jesus Christ. For all of our mismanagement of God's abundance, Jesus went to the cross. He tasted death, and he tasted the judgment of God for you and for me, so that we might walk in newness of life. His generosity to us creates generosity in us. In Christ, God gives us a life that never ends, and he gives us more than we need to support this body and life here and now. He gives super abundantly. And it is faith in his generosity that weans us away from our dependence on stuff, which is idolatry. And we come to the wonderful realization that indeed the best place to store our things is among those who need help. And I have, this is in your a newsletter today, which you'll receive when you leave the sanctuary. 
there's a list of God's storehouses, in addition to giving to Grace Lutheran Congregation. I've listed a number of things here. I could have listed many other uh, places as well. Orphan Grain Train, for example. The contact information is here in your newsletter. Love Chapel. Uh, LCMS World Relief and Human Care. LCMS Disaster Response. Clarity, that's Pregnancy Care Centers in South Central Indiana. Lutheran Bible Translators. Volunteers in Medicine. You see, these are all worthy causes. These are places, in addition to this congregation, that I would say these are God's storehouses. When you give to these places, you are laying a gift upon the altar of God. And you are considering those people who are in need as appropriate storehouses for that surplus, or part of that surplus, that God has given to us all. May it be so for Jesus' sake, in his name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds, through Christ Jesus, amen.